the commissioner is here. If you need any more explanation of why to stick around, you're probably at the wrong show. Lockdown Women's Basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdal, thanking you for making us your first listen every day. Uh, You can subscribe at YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts, six days a week on women's basketball, five days a week, everything on Saturday, WNBA Draft Conversation every Saturday. And, of course, brought to you by the incredible team of more than 30 journalists over at thenexthoops.com, where we are closing in on 1,200 reported pieces about women's basketball this year alone, a point of personal pride, over 800,000 readers this month alone, once again, really delighted that all of you are part of the nexthoops.com family. And something that generates a great deal of uh, content over at the next is, of course, Lehigh Women's Basketball. We have a Patriot League reporter, but also, also, Kathy Engelbert, your WNBA. So we are delighted to have you here to talk and get into the weeds on what is a fascinating time, obviously, in the WNBA. Well, thanks, Howard, for having me on and um, for all your coverage. It it means a lot and um, we're on a great trajectory. It's really interesting to think about the many ways in which that is the case. And so I want to drill down into a a lot of them. I think the place that is probably best to start, because they're all tied together, but the league marketing agreements, the, the PMAs, and the fact that we have seen the growth already from three of them last year to 10 this year. Can you just kind of take me through how you came to that being the number where you are now and you know where you hope to grow that program to, let's say, over the next couple of years? Yeah, Howard, you know, we're trying to chip away at um, paying the players more through building an economic model, through transformation of the business model, through uh, more corporate sponsorships, media deals, things like that. So um, as we're transforming the league literally before our eyes after raising the capital in February, um, we said we felt very comfortable um, getting 10 players under marketing agreements. We we offered others uh, who, you know, didn't necessarily take them. But um, so we've over tripled the number and um, it's players take opportunities in the offseason and they, they, we're trying to give them opportunities um, to pay them. So I'm thrilled with the players we have under contract here in the off season. They're staying here at home. We have a Rico Gumbawale who, you know, just went to Notre Dame and did an autograph session and captured social content. And, um, you know, we have athletes doing things around the holidays here with Dick Sporting Goods, one of our great partners and Dee Dee Richards walked in New York fashion week. So we have her time to play clinics. I was up at one in Toronto. And so and we have some upcoming things with, you know, the NBA Paris game and um, NBA All-Star and NCAA Final Four for women. So lots of things where we can actually have the conversation, keep going with our players, build their personal brands. It's really important, um, you know, to build their personal brands so that they get more um, endorsements and they get more things where they can feel like they're well, more well-known. We're building household names. 
And, and that presence, that year-round presence, I know that's been something you've talked about dating back to your first day at um, in the commissioner's office. But I think it's really important to drill down on those numbers, too, because you made uh, it was sort of an ancillary point. But I think it's a really important one. There were 23 players from overseas who played in the WNBA last year. So if you think about, all right, we go from three to ten. And there are, you know, once you account for a bunch of rosters that are 11 rather than 12 players on the roster for salary cap issues that we'll get into, you're talking about 10 out of 140, but it's really more like 10 out of 115 who are here, who are then staying here and making that choice. I mean, it's a a very big chunk of the league. 10 out of the 450 players in the NBA would be a relative pittance, but 10 out of 115 is a lot. And I, I use that by virtue of asking, I guess, do you see this as a pathway to getting, you know, a plurality, a majority of players paid in this way over, let's say, the next three to four years um, as a means of being able to pay people directly? Yeah. And people forget, like a year ago, we were uh, experiencing the height of Omicron and the pandemic was still around. And obviously it's still around, but now we're living and dealing with it. So we couldn't really do what we did this year, last year. And that's why we have ratcheted it up. But, you know, we also have players who are taking advantage of other opportunities like Sabrina working for Oregon, Candace Parker and Chenea Gumake, of course, with their broadcast careers, Skylar Diggins and Kia Nurse doing their broadcast with their MBA uh, team. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of opportunities and we have internships available for players should they want to do that. And players are finding ways to stay at home uh, and and find other things. Because one of the reasons, Howard, you know, because I also said this on day one when I joined the league three years ago was, you know, someone told me the average tenure of a WNBA player was five years. And I said, well, they're college graduates, so they're 26, 27. Now, what do they do for the next 30 years? And as I'm on the back end of, of my uh, long business career, um, yeah, like they need to, to build skills. So internships and other opportunities. And Nike's been a great partner with that. And some of our WNBA change makers with, you know, giving our players opportunities. And now not every player, a lot of players still want to play. And especially our younger players who may not get a lot of playing time in the W. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we, we're obviously um, cognizant of that. But, you know, we're going to chip away over the next, as you said, three to four years is a perfect time frame to say we want to chip away and give more opportunities for players to stay at home. They can train while they do these PMAs. Um, and then they they can, again, one of the important things to me, too, is they build their own personal brands more with companies that then see the value of partnering with WNBA players. No question about it. And, and again, even you talk about those careers after basketball. I was just out in Minnesota a few weeks ago, and Rachel Bannum is working on Lindsay Whalen's staff. And Rachel, obviously, continuing the WNBA, but has a coaching career ahead of her, as anyone who you know spends five minutes talking to her would see. So getting those chances and staying home is significant. I, I do think there is a flip side to it, uh, which is to say that um, the conversation about compensation is in some ways hamstrung by the salary cap and in some ways are ways that you're allowed to sort of build around it. And so I, I, I want to just, you know, take it up with the number of 700,000, which I know is something that comes up a lot, you know, we say this is the maximum that a player can make. But of course, you know, that's there hasn't been, to my knowledge, a player who's gotten that 700,000 yet. Am I correct about that? Yeah, but probably not because we've had some players who are at our Supermax who are MVPs or are 
um, get a lot of the bonus awards, which goes into that number and could make up to 250,000 in a player marketing agreement, choose not to do that. So it is right now something we're striving for, but we want to have the right players who really want to help market the league in the off season, make that extra up to 250,000. Uh, but you know, it's opportunity. And, um, as we, again, transform this economic model that for so many years was in need of major transformation and bring in more corporate partners and, and get the valuation of whether it's a, a patch on our uniform, a placement on the court, a media ad buy, a media rights fee, a franchise fee, all of that got to get the valuation of that right in women's sports. You know, Howard, I wrote the op-ed on Beyond the uh, Weight Room about a year and a half ago, and it's really, we're making progress. It's a little slower than I thought, but we're making some significant progress because companies are starting to see the benefit and the momentum around women's sports and that people are watching. We had our most viewed playoffs in 20 plus years, our most viewed drafts since 2004, and all these are really good signs and signals for the future. But Companies need to see the value. We need our players out there marketing themselves so they, they see the value, especially to a company's consumer. Every company I talk to, they all have a diversity, equity, and inclusion platform. They're all trying to bring in more diverse customers or consumers. And what better place to you know partner with but the WNBA is one of the most diverse leagues in professional sports and 80% women of color and women who every household, almost every household consumer purchasing decision in the U.S. is made or influenced by a woman. So as you look at our fan base, too, if you want to attract, you know, new customers from that perspective. So that's we're pulling all that narrative together and growing the league so that we can even pay the players more outside of the salary cap based salary. It is that value add. It, it's interesting. And we'll talk about when we get into media rights, but just the fact that we're not just talking about apples to apples in terms of audience size compared to some other leagues that have gotten some big paydays. But you're also talking about the adding of new audience. I just know that, you know, for a lot, and I hear this from players and agents all the time to say, you know, well, the 700, well, you know, that's not a thing we've hit. And on the other hand, there is the fact that if you go to the median of what a player is making, you compare that to the last collective bargaining agreement, it's up, you know, by high double digits, low triple digits, depending on what your point of comparison is. So it does seem like, and, and I guess that's sort of the big takeaway is player compensation. And the easiest way you go is the max salary base goes from 119.5 to 215 overnight from 2019 to 2020. There is that growth. I guess there, there's a level of frustration from some corners of like, why are we talking seven instead of talking about like this number that a lot of players can hit? I just, I, I wonder whether you feel like maybe the emphasis of like where the lion's share of players are growing is something that's even more important when you think about the league in 2023. Well, again, I think our players and our players association understand that we don't we want to set this league up for the next 40, 50 years. And we don't want to jeopardize the financial health by stretching into commitments that the league can't afford. The teams can't afford. The owners can't afford to help this league, thri league thrive. And we were right back in 2019. Little do we know we hit a pandemic and all the other things that have happened since. But we, we were right about, you know, being very thoughtful about giving the players opportunities to make more money. That's why the up to 700, but also doubling the super max essentially from 117 to now 230 ish. And then um, giving them these other opportunities under whether it's player marketing agreements, teams to have the ability to pay players and they do. Um, so we'll, we'll put a fair amount of money up this year in non salary cap, non base pay to a lot of players across our 12 teams and across the league. So 
Um, but understand the frustration. We all want to go faster. We want the transformation faster. But, you know, um, I always say Rome wasn't built in the day, but we're on a really good trajectory. I think the players, Neko Gumake just got reelected as the president of the Players Association. Um, you know, she she's such a leader. She understands that we're building something here together with the players. We're, I, when I came in the league, remember, Howard, my first pillar was player first, player led. We've done that with our social justice council. We've done that with everything we, we you know, we're, we're about. So uh, and it really is about building household names and rivalries, creating compelling content that mm -hmm. therefore people want to consume. And the more eyes you have on the game, as you know, the better off you'll be in the long term. So we're not going to do things that don't make sense in the short term to grow the league. And I think a lot of the players today know just like they stand on the shoulder, the big shoulders, giant shoulders of those who launched this league 26 years ago, they understand they're going to be these trailblazers and trendsetters when we look back 10, 15 years from now at how we set this league up for success for a long time. No doubt about it. And again, NECA being reelected is itself an endorsement in some ways of the CBA that she led to sign in 2020. So we'll get into the particulars of that. I'm going to take a moment and talk to you guys about Turo in the audience. Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts across the United States, the UK and Canada and Australia. So Make sure you forget boring rental cars. Find your drive at Turo.com. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, exclusions apply. And so in terms of terms, we can talk about the 2020 CBA. And I think there's a little bit of a, um, a backwards understanding of this in the public realm. And I think it's important to um, get this straightened out on a couple of fronts. So let's, let's talk about the first thing. Um, the PHF had and in, um, the owners came together and put $25 million in and raised the salary cap. This was you know, news last week to $1.5 million. And there was a fair amount of grumbling here. And, you know, well, why isn't something like that happening with a $75 million infusion that the WNBA had in new investment dating back to February this year? And my, the way I understand it, of course, is that in a lot of ways is helping to pay for what we just talked about, that significant jump in salary, the ability to um, be able to pay players on uh, PMAs, you know, and all of those things were helped, uh, were partially financed by that 75 million. Is that a fair thing to say? In other words, that you guys essentially are making, are coming through on the promise that was made in the CBA itself? Well, it's much more multidimensional than that, quite frankly. Yeah, it's, sure. Sure. it's, um, transforming everything, every rock I pick up and turn over. We need to change the way we're doing things, the way we interact with fans, our digital platforms, our technology, our um, prize pools. I, I upped the bonus prize pool this year for playoffs by 53%. You know, that wasn't required by collective bargaining. So, you know, obviously the half million dollar prize pool for the commissioner's cup. So all of that stuff, better benefits, travel, fertility benefits, et cetera, mom benefits. So all of that, it's very multidimensional. So it's not just that, it's marketing. So really, you know, doubling our marketing budget on marketing the players in season and in the off season, um, mm -hmm. in the run up and um, being able to innovate, like when you don't have capital. So a lot of people don't understand capital is something you deploy over a three to five year period to grow the business that therefore that, that longer term three, well, medium term now, three to five years, 
then the players, you know, will all benefit enormously from what we're doing with that capital. It's not something you deploy into an expense. That's mm -hmm. not, we'll call it research and development or player oriented or digital or fan. So my three pillars, right? Mm. Player led, stakeholder success and fan engagement and fan experience. And those three are going to drive this transformation and drive more fans and the players are going to benefit much more on the how we deploy that capital over time because there is a misunderstanding that you take the money and just throw it into something no 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 that's like it has to be revenue generating so you're setting the league up and we're obviously in a very different place and thankfully um uh, you know, place with having uh, entered our now 27th year uh, mm -hmm. of, of, you know, longest tenured women's professional sports league in the U.S., um, double any other. So we're just in a different place where we can deploy this over a three to five year period. Our owners, our players, our investors, you know, know that that's the plan, know that we're working on, you know, being around for, you know, 40, 50, 60 years with what we're doing today, not just, you know, kind of surviving. And I do, you know, I, I hate the, you know, alliteration of this, but survive to thrive is exactly what we're experiencing. It's happening right before our eyes. We might've been surviving three and a half years ago. Now we're really into the thriving mode and really proud of the team and the teams and the owners and the commitment and, and the players too have been great partners in this. And um, as we continue to, you know, talk with them about the business of basketball, I think they understand a lot more. We, we have more kind of education to do of everybody in our ecosystem of how, sports works and um, how salary caps work and how you can find additional opportunities outside of those hard caps to, to pay players and to market players. And, you know, again, setting it all up for long-term success. And it is just to button it up. Would it be fair to say that the investment uh, helped follow through on the payment additions that we saw in the CBA? In other words, even some of the things you're talking beyond the salary cap were made possible through that CBA, right? In other words, player marketing agreements is something that can come through that CBA, even though it's not salary cap. I, 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 and I ask that in part because, you know, to kind of establish that, uh, you know, this is an investment that has already come through to players is significant, right? But would that be true that that helped get us to where we needed to be after 2020? Yeah, there's no doubt because it's all interlinked. I think, as, as you said, it, everything's interlinked. So, and cash is fungible too. So, when we get a new corporate sponsor, that's helpful. The capital raise is helpful. That's a longer term deployment. And so, it just gives you the first of all, doing the capital raise gave us an enormous amount of confidence that we can continue on this path and spend and invest in the players invest in our fans, invest in, you know, what we're trying to accomplish here to set this up for the long term. Sure. So that that confidence to bring in a diverse set of investors like this who are really, really committed to the league, in addition to our owners and some of our owners also invested in this capital raise round as well. So that's all really, really positive. But that gives you the confidence. And so I can't say this dollar went into this pocket or something like that. That's not how you track it. You track it about the growth of the business, the ability to do things additional things for the players, even outside the CBA, like we did with bonus pools, like mm -hmm. we'll continue to do with player marketing agreements or whatever else, you know, comes our way as far as player benefits. I mean, I did fund a, a charter during the finals this year. So that was also something I felt confident on coming off the capital raise that we could deploy some, some of that there. But also I, I wouldn't have done it if we didn't see growth in the league and we saw enormous growth, which was help, which always helps you with the confidence that, this is working the way you're deploying this capital is working and you can return some of that to benefits for the players. So yeah, we're thinking about that, but it's not a, 
dollar for dollar a direct link because that's not how we deploy capital in the business world. And um, now 37 years into the business world, I think, you know, we have the right formula for now. Well, and, and so again, and let's talk about those two other funding pots, uh, which are on the horizon, one being expansion, the other being media rights. Uh, very, very uh, much first, though, want to talk uh, briefly to my listeners about Bet Online, betonline.net, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. Again, just as a point of personal privilege, while I am not a betting person, uh, I am a big believer that the WNBA being on these platforms matters. It is all part and you know, of where those revenues come from and exposure and everything that goes along with it. So bet online, you can head to the website or mobile diverse device to learn more. Bet online is where the game starts and more significantly where the women's game starts. So the two parts that we're talking about here, right, are expansion and meteorites. And I bring it up as the following. Prioritization is now entering a new phase. 2023, players need to be here by first day of training camp. Next year, it's, uh, excuse me, first day of uh, the regular season. Next year, by first day of training camp. And uh, we're hearing a lot of, um, let, let us say, rumblings about that. Um, you know, it's, there's parts of it to me. I've obviously been covering this a minute. And so I remember this was a critical part of the conversation dating back to 2020, this understanding that, all right, we're going to be able to raise salaries, lift salaries. And that has happened. You know, it's indisputable across the league. But in exchange for that, this is what we need to have happen to make sure that the league is literally a priority, which is something that everyone in the league I've spoken to at every level has thought was important dating back to the early days of the WNBA. And so thinking about how big, how fast the league can get on compensation, it feels like there are two additional big pots of money potentially coming. One of them being a new media rights deal, which is going to be by anyone I've spoken to and by any basic comparison, exponentially larger than the one that's here, but not for a couple of years, not until 2025. Expansion fees are going to be driving. I know in the NWSL with the announcement coming uh, within a couple of weeks, I don't think I'm betraying any confidences to say that um, they're going to have a pot of money that involves around $40 million per team. All of which is to say that I know you had wanted to announce in 2022 as a goal of yours earlier this year. I know you, you talked about having to push that back. Was there any sort of feeling of, you know, boy, expansion could be in this scenario something that enables us financially to kind of bridge the gap to media rights? Yeah, so um, certainly when I came into the league and we were only in 12 cities in a country of 300 plus million I knew that wasn't enough, um, but we were not in a situation where um, we could successfully and confidently bring in new committed owners and, and ensure that the success of the league going forward long term. So, um, so again, and we are, um, I have this philosophy, Howard, that, you know, we need transformation first, then expansion, not rush into expansion and hope, keep your fingers crossed that we actually transform the economics of this league and lift all of women's sports while we do it. So we've been working hard on the transformation. Uh, we're working hard on expansion as well. Um, you know, one thing to reiterate though, we're not going to put this league in a, a precarious position where we're like literally on this thriving mode. 
Um, we want to set new ownership groups up to, for success. We want to continue helping our current ownership group, which, which is very difficult when you're undervalued and underinvested in like women's sports is with the less than 1% of all corporate sponsorship dollars going towards women's sport and the less than 5% of all media coverage of women's sports um, going to, um, to sports, going to women's sports. And, you know, people like you are helping us lift that, um, that, well, that numerator in that, but the denominator is huge in men's sports because it's big business. So, well, can uh, I add again, that? I, I, just to, to jump in on the, on that point, because I think it's really significant. Major league soccer, in fact, was criticized for going the opposite tack. Major League Soccer, there were people who said, you're expanding, you're growing a number of franchises too fast, right? And I guess I just wonder whether, A, the fact that Major League Soccer, you know, about the same imprint time frame in terms of how long it's been around as the WNBA has grown, you know, exponentially in terms of number of franchises, gets rewarded this summer with that $250 million per year on the Apple TV that, again, to my mind, is apples to apples. I think you need to look at audiences being really similar in Major League Soccer, the WNBA. Did that change your thinking at all in terms of what you needed to get to in terms of a not just a season footprint, but inventory as you head into 2025? Well, it's definitely a great data point for us when you look at our viewership and their viewership and the eyes on our game. And um, certainly, you know, they started in a different place than we did when I came in. So they had a little more financial success than we certainly did. Mm -hmm. um, and so they did expand rapidly. So I'm not going to comment on another league because um, but I am going to comment on the continued undervaluation of women's sports. So um, there should be no reason. And there's a huge bias. And it's something I didn't know until I started to lead this league that there was this huge undervaluation, particularly in the media realm and in even in sponsorship of, of our assets. Um, I don't understand why the bias is there. It's real. It needs to be fixed and we're going to fix it. So that's why we're working hard on that. In addition to, because you bring up a good point, there's two things, there's expansion and then there's media rights, but it's not just media rights. It's valuation of all of our assets. I mean, a media ad buy, it's really important because the way media rights get calculated is based on how they think they're going to make money on the deal. It's not just them paying, you know, for the rights to show games. Um, and live sports is very um, hot right now, as far as, you know, this is what's people keeping people connected to um, broadcasts and, and, and whatnot. You saw the world cup numbers, you see the NFL, the NBA is doing really well this year. So um, because they're driving a narrative around their players, their rivalries, their teams, their, and it's live sports content. It's interesting to people. So we should be in that same category, a very, very viable and significant media sports and entertainment property. But for some reason, there's this huge undervaluation when it comes to women's sports. So we're, we're going to fix it, Howard. Uh, I don't know how long it's really going to take. But, you know, because, again, that denominator is so huge in those percentages I threw out. But we're we're definitely going to fix it longer term. And, and not that we're looking for even like the equal because we don't have the same viewers as some of the bigger men's professional leagues, but we are growing something, building something. These players are putting the best product in the world on the court. They're great off the court, obviously with everything they're doing. And so there should be no reason for, the, for this undervaluation uh, to happen. And there's a huge bias and we, we've got to fix it. We've got to get with companies like Google has been such a great partner with getting with media companies saying, if you build it, they will come show them more. And we had 160 games on national platforms this year. And we were 
again, this is why we had the most viewed playoffs in 20 plus years. And we had the most viewed regular season in 15, 16 years. So it, it, it works, but you need everybody in the ecosystem to participate. No question about it. The growth is indisputable, and I am looking forward to seeing what happens, of course, in 2023 and beyond. We'll, we'll be here to chat about it always. So, Kathy Andelbert, thank you so much. On behalf of our listeners, thank you. Make sure you tune in tomorrow, listeners. We've got Tania Latson, who is a freshman at Florida State and is the truth and is coming to you in 2026, Kathy. All the best. Happy holidays to you, and thank you very much. I am Howard Magdal wishing you a wonderful day. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. 